Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Robert Meyer. I'm with the Managed Healthcare Systems. I'm the Behavioral Health Director for Managed Healthcare Systems. And today we're here to talk about men's health and particularly how the new Your Plan for Health can be a very valuable tool for men seeking to know more about their health care, getting to the right place, knowing what to do, and how to access care. Uh, the presentation today, we're going to cover some basic background. We'll talk about wellness, illness, and health care. We're going to talk some about the history of the healthcare program here at OSU and also the wellness program at OSU, so you have an idea of background how we've gotten to this point. We're going to spend a little time on what men really need to know about their health and also barriers that keep men from both health and wellness. And finally, in designing a program to help men get around these barriers, I'm going to talk to you about how your plan for health may be a big part of this uh, answer that we have in this particular topic. Now, I know a lot of employees at the university use the flexible or the, excuse me, the, the, the deferred annuities plans where you take money out of your paycheck to augment your retirement system. So really what I want to get to the heart of today is how to make sure that you enjoy the benefits of that extra retirement money instead of your wife's second husband. Because if you're working this hard for this long, spending all this time to save money, and then you die before you get to retirement, it's not much of a benefit to you. Okay, illness, health, and wellness. In order to have a good idea about what we're talking about, you have to understand how these all differ. Uh, and illness is simply defined as having a disease. Health is defined for purposes of our talk as the absence of having a disease. And wellness is the potential of living up to the best thing you can in all spheres of your life, regardless of whether you have a disease or not. Somebody who is physically well or healthy can be in fact not overall well and just like somebody that has a chronic disease such as diabetes or MS or something like that can be very well even though they wouldn't necessarily be considered as healthy. And the reason we have to understand this is when you start talking about illness, health and wellness and dollars and cents which is what a lot of things come down to is that the economics of healthcare and insurance in this country are staggering. The entire gross national product of the U.S., which is in trillions of dollars, we're currently spending 17% of that overall uh, dollar on illness, and uh, that's going to rapidly climb into the 20% range, so it's, it's a huge amount of money. We're spending more money on healthcare in this country than in fact most countries spend on their entire uh, gross domestic product. But of that money that we're spending, 90, 98 plus percent of health insurance dollars are in fact spent on illness. Only 2% of health care dollars are spent on health, and those would be things like uh, annual physicals, wellness screenings, things like that. And practically none of the healthcare dollars in this country are currently spent on wellness at all. Wellness, if you're going to spend money on wellness, it's, it's really the individual's dollars to spend. 
And why are we spending money this way? Well, it doesn't make sense for a lot of people, you know. Why don't we cover smoking cessation? We know smoking costs, you know, if we don't, if people smoke, we know they spend a lot of extra health care dollars. Well, you have to understand where health care insurance has come from, and it really has come from an insurance model. Now, an insurance model is really designed to protect you against catastrophic events. Your, your, uh, your house insurance doesn't cover if you need to repaint your house. However, if a hailstorm comes and destroys the siding on your house, then the insurance helps you replace the siding. So it's those catastrophic kind of things. We don't, we don't get oil changes covered in our car by our automobile insurance. And insurance so is not designed to cover normal life events. Well, health and wellness are normal life events. And therefore, insurance, uh, the healthcare insurance industry has not traditionally covered these. And so that kind of means that this old phrase of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure doesn't apply well when it comes to the insurance model. And since wellness is, in a person, is a personal issue, in order to make the best wellness decisions, individuals must have access to knowledge. They must have the ability to do something with that. They have to have the time to do something about it. You know, it's, it's a... You know, if you're going to exercise, it's, you know, goals or whatever it is, 90 minutes a week, three hours a week, you've got to have the time out of your schedule to be able to do that. And like it or not, since you're spending your money on it, you have to have the income to do so. You also need this little mystery thing called motivation, which is a, a very nebulous thing for anybody to pin down because what motivates me today might not motivate you or you and what uh, motivates all of us today might not motivate any of us tomorrow so motivation is something that is important for us to understand but also very hard to pin down and you also have to understand that wellness for employers is really a rising issue and an increasingly interesting issue for employers but it's only been recently uh, started as an issue for employers. Worksite wellness is about the only area where money is being spent on wellness that isn't in fact the individual's own dollars. And uh, these workplace programs have been going on really for a couple of decades at some low levels. Some employers have been really cutting edge. Uh, these things can be as simple as the posters you see around in the lunchroom talking about a healthy diet or reminders that, you know, cigarettes are, this is a non-smoking facility. It can be classes held at lunch hour on diet or nutrition. Uh, it can be educational programs for diabetics. It can be low back pain prevention programs. It can be a lot of these things. There have been, over the last 10 years or so, some very complex programs started, bonuses, rewards, incentives, for participation, some large companies like Boeing, IBM, Coors, Union Pacific, these are leaders in the industry. Uh, and now OSU is engaged in this kind of programming. So, you know, we're, we're actually very cutting edge in this. And, and it'll be very interesting to see if it works as well for our uh, organization as it has for some of these other organizations. How did we get into wellness? Well, OSU is a unique kind of an employer. There are several things going for us that make us uh, want to get into worksite wellness. 
These include things like the fact that OSU is self-insured, uh, it, it makes money or it spends all the money on health care out, out of uh, its own budget. So if it can do things to help people be more well, it stands a better opportunity to save dollars. OSU tends to think in longer terms than many companies. A lot of companies think about what we're going to do this fiscal quarter, this three months, and you know all the money we want to spend and all the money we want to save. So when they're thinking short term, they oftentimes don't think in terms of what we're going to save five years down the road or ten years down the road. And we certainly have employees that stay here longer than 12 to 24 months. Uh, there are many employees that stay at the university 20, 30, maybe even 40 years. And if we can help them be well now, we stand to save a lot of money into the future. Uh, OSU has a sincere interest in work-life issues. We've, we've even started a work-life program out of the Department of Human Resources. So it's a, uh, it's a sincere interest on the part of the university to help its employees. And OSU has really grown this worksite wellness program as a result of all these factors. This is not a new program. Many of you are very familiar with the wellness program. It's been around since really 1996. It grew out of discussions as far back as 1994 because, you know, it was recognized at that time that there were many wellness-related activities at the university. In fact, we decided to compile a list of all those wellness-related activities, and we realized there were so many that they were hard to coordinate, and it was that decision at that point to create a wellness program to help coordinate this and steer people to what would help them the most. Uh, and that started in 1996 for the faculty and staff as the faculty and staff wellness program. Programs that the wellness program has run since it started up, we, we do free flu shots every fall now. There's brown bag lunches like this, talking about men's health, about diet, about exercise, about how much water you should drink, uh, yoga. I mean, many of you have attended these classes and, and have found them very useful. We have the women's health program. We've got all kinds of ongoing specialty programs that we're trying to provide outreach for. We've done the annual wellness fair for several years now, and they've done health risk assessments dating clear back to 1996 also. Well, one of the things that the university clearly knows about wellness by looking at what all the other uh, employers have done and by looking at what the literature has done and frankly, some of the leaders in the field of investigating worksite wellness and how it can help employers and employees is that school up north. They're a leader in the field. People like Getzel and Eddington have been recognized worldwide for their efforts uh, that they've worked with doing research out of the University of Michigan. So OSU is always trying to catch up with Michigan whenever we have the opportunity, and this is just one of them. But wellness can really impact costs. When we look at this overall healthcare spending in the U.S., 75% of the dollars we spend, probably no matter what you do, they're not going to be changed. But that leaves 25% of those overall costs that are directly related to behaviors and attitudes surrounding healthcare and personal health and wellness decisions. And when you boil that 25% of that spend down, it really can be impacted simply by educating people 
in only seven categories. It's not like you've got to go out and change the world. These seven areas are exercise, obesity, smoking, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, stress, and depression. That's it. Some of those are life situations. Some of those are the beginning stages of chronic disease because high blood pressure leads to things like stroke and heart disease. High blood sugar is a precursor to diabetes. But exercise, smoking, and obesity, those are, are leading to other problems too. So these are all interrelated and all interlinked. And when you break them down even further, because in studies, when they've looked at these categories, how much more does somebody cost on average, say you've got an average healthy employee, or an average amount of money spent per member per year on a health plan? Well, there's been study after study that looks at what these things cost. People that don't exercise cost about 10% more a year. Uncontrolled high blood pressure or hypertension costs about 12% more a year. People who smoke and people who are obese cost an extra 20% per year. Uncontrolled blood sugar or uncontrolled diabetes about 35% more a year. People who are stressed cost about 45% more a year. And if you have depression that is unidentified or untreated, it can cost you 70% more per year. So what you see is just what these single things can cost. The interesting thing about them is when you start adding them together, let's say you've got somebody who doesn't exercise, who's obese, and who smokes, you can't add 20% and 20% and 10%. You get more like 150% because they start compounding each other. Well, how do you best impact these seven areas? Well, these areas are all areas that are related to behaviors. When you have somebody who is not exercising, you need to figure out how to let them know that that's an issue that they should consider, and then you also need to let them know how they could start an exercise program. So some of the ways that the employers who are insuring people are making efforts to uh, do these kind of programmings is starting an at-work wellness program. The first step to this is using things like the health risk assessments or what's now the online personal health assessment because we can't help you with your risks if we don't help you identify what those risks are first. This also allows us to help tie people to those correct wellness as, uh, uh, services and assessments. And then we're trying to tie these in with the healthcare benefits whenever possible. And we're also going into an expansion of healthcare benefits so that people can benefit by, you know, if you're stressed out, what can we do? Well, you know, some of the massage th therapy may help you relieve some of the stress. If you've got excess muscle tension or pain as a result of it, that would help. So we're trying to tie this all together in a package to work best for people. And we're learning things from the health risk assessments and the PHAs. What do we know after 10 years of PHAs and HRAs in the wellness program? Well, OSU, like everybody else in the U.S., our biggest risks are in cardiac disease. We also know that more than half of our employees don't exercise at the recommended amounts. We know that our average BMI for our population is already overweight and, in fact, in the low obese range. 
We seem to have slightly fewer smokers than average. That's good. Uh, but depression, stress, and alcohol risks are comparable to all the other U.S. population norms. And also blood pressure, cholesterol, and diabetes are risks here. And we also know that women are three times more likely to participate in these programs than men. And that's one of the reasons I want to talk to the men today. How do we get men to participate? <laughs> well, one of the things that I understand as a man in the healthcare profession is that the system itself can be very frustrating to men. It's not convenient. Nobody likes to go sit in the doctor's office and wait two hours. Nobody likes to take off work to do it. Nobody likes to, you know, there's a whole, re a whole list of reasons we don't like to do this. We don't have the right information. We don't have access to a lot of things we would like to have. So one of the things that we in the system itself can do is try to figure out what men don't like about the system and see if we can do something about this. We want to provide better access to information, make it convenient, private, easy to understand, readily available, and something you can do something about. And then we also want to help the providers help meet men's needs. So now we'll switch and we're going to start talking about how your plan for health, specifically, can help men live longer because as I said earlier we don't want you to do all that work save all that money and then have somebody else enjoy those rewards but I can sum it up simply by saying what you don't know in this case can truly hurt you how much does it hurt men in the US the average life expectancy of men in this country is seven years less than their female counterparts now, for a long time, there were a lot of reasons given for it, many of them sometimes biological. But as more and more research is done, and was, as we compare other countries to ourselves, for instance, when you look at countries like Japan or Sweden or other countries where men seem to access health care the same amount as their female counterparts, they live about the same amount of time. So we believe it's behavior and not biology that's causing most of this difference. So what causes this behavioral dis difference in our country? Well, again, it's just four simple things. It's attitudes, beliefs, communication patterns, and socialization patterns. And I'll give examples of all these so you'll have a better idea what we're talking about here. But clearly, if we can start communicating to men, start confronting some of the attitudes and beliefs and start helping you understand how your own patterns, beliefs, and attitudes impact your life and your life expectancy, then we'll be able to provide you with uh, a better idea and a better amount of uh, information and services about what you should do. Important things for men to realize. First off, good health doesn't just happen. It's not like, okay, I've been healthy and an athlete all my life and that's going to continue all the rest of my life. It's a series of decisions. It's not a big decision. It's a whole bunch of tiny little decisions every day. What do I eat? What do I do? When do I sleep? Every day you're making a series of decisions that can help you and if you make these decisions based on information, it'll help you live a healthier life and a longer life. 
A lot of men say they are too macho to go to the doctor. These are the same men that say they're afraid of what the doctor will find out. So this is one of those kind of attitude belief things because it's really difficult to be macho and afraid at the same time. They're one or the other and we have to kind of confront that kind of belief and behavior in order to get through to men so that we can help them get to the doctor if they need to. Men lack, men lack knowledge about what it takes to be healthy. I hate to say it, but here the women are far ahead of us, and they're far ahead of us for a lot of reasons. <laughs> some of those reasons we'll go into in a little bit. But some other barriers that men have to deal with, for instance, is biological. Uh, men, we seem to have this, we're, we're born with this invincibility concept. Uh, you know, we, it, a lot of it is socialized and trained into us when we're very young. I mean, you see it in your next uh, event at the park when you go out for a family picnic. All the relatives are around and you see this one-year-old boy and he bounces off of a tree root and falls and starts crying. Somebody will rush over and say, you're, you know, knock it off. You're not hurt. See? Same little girl falls over a tree stump. Everybody picks her up and cuddles her and, you know, she's treated much differently than young men. So you see it at a very early age in this society and this helps convince men of their invincibility. We, we live this through our adolescent years in sporting events. We live this through our adult life. In fact, it's very interesting to contrast and compare men and women because women start feeling like they're old when they're still very young. That first wrinkle or that first gray hair for a woman when she's in her 20s or 30s is a real event for them. Men are still in their 60s and 70s, no hair on their head like me, got out to here. They still think they're young and attractive. We think we're young until the day we die. And that's not necessarily very conducive to asking somebody for help about your own wellness or health care. The same thing goes with the psychological barriers. Uh, social barriers are out there. When you look at the magazines that women read or the shows that they watch on TV or even their conversations among each other, those often contain health care information healthcare discussions, or just dialogue back and forth about healthcare. Men don't talk about healthcare at all with each other. Uh, you know, what we talk about and what women talk about are considerably different when it comes to healthcare. Our shows generally don't talk about healthcare. Our magazines generally don't talk about healthcare. Now, there's growing recognition of this as being a problem, and you see examples, for instance, NASCAR is making a tremendous effort right now, which I applaud them for. Because at a NASCAR event, you'll oftentimes have a health screening available to men. They just can walk in, sit down, and get a health screening. So that's great. I applaud these kind of events and efforts to take care of men's health because there's a recognition that men aren't taking care of their own health. But even the system, the healthcare system, as I've said, has some barriers to it. Well, let's, let's look at the barriers. What's this really mean? Well, for instance, year after year, statistically, 20% of the healthcare visits in the U.S. are for men. The other 80% are for women and children. So there's a, a tremendous disparity in even the access. Well, you know, where's this come from? Well, a lot of it has to come with the way the system's designed. 
the system itself is, you know, usually Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Well, that's when men generally work. Uh, so there's, you have to take off work to go to your health care visit. Uh, there is, like I say, this delay. I mean, if you look at the way men shop compared to the way women shop, women can make a whole day event out of a trip to the mall. Men, on the other hand, I know I'm very proud of the fact that if I need something from the tool department at Sears, I know the back door closest to the tool department with the parking spaces usually right there. I'm in and out in 15 minutes, and I love it. So there's a much different attitude about what you know, you are going to do when you go to an appointment or, you know, men like to do things quickly, women like to do things maybe differently. But, you know, I, I can tell you, I go to doctor's offices, I sit there and wait for my appointment just like everybody else, I look at the magazine selection, nothing I want to read, if there's TV in the uh, waiting lobby, it's not a show I want to watch, so... The healthcare system itself has a lot of uh, room to go before they're really meeting the needs. You see the hair care places now that advertise for men with, you know, kind of a sports theme. Again, you, you don't see a provider's office with a sports theme, even if you're going to sports med. It's not that kind of a setup. So there's, there's a lot that the system itself could do to learn how to, to better advertise, reach out, and, and, and work with men. But one of the challenges is there is because 80% of their clients are women and children, they're not too good, maybe don't have a lot of experience at working with men. Men tend to like to have some say in their care plan. They like to have a dialogue about what's going on. And most healthcare providers kind of come off as fairly authoritative. You need to do this, you this, and this, and this. Where's the dialogue? Where's the discussion? It, it alienates men. And... Sometimes you don't have to be a very sophisticated clinician to figure out what's wrong with men because they stay out of the physician's office so long that they're finally coming in and going, I can't move my shoulder, what can you do for me? It's not hard to figure out <laughs> what's going on because we stay away so long. And uh, so, you know, we've got this situation where there's a growing awareness, they're starting to write magazine articles, there's this whole, there's this wonderful magazine about men's health, I don't know what their subscription is, but uh, there's still a long way to go in this area. So, the result of this whole thing is that we don't know when or how to access health care, we don't access the health care that's available to us, we don't get those early screenings that are critically important. And, you know, if you catch something earlier, your chances of recovery, full recovery, are increased fivefold or tenfold. That's why they screen women for mammograms. That's, that's something that has been real effort put forth to do this. Now, the interesting thing is, is that many more men will eventually be potentially victims of prostate cancer than uh, women are of breast cancer, but I don't see a ribbon campaign for prostate cancer out there. We're not good at engaging, we're not good at advocating for ourselves. We've got a lot to learn from women about this, and the quicker we learn it, the better off we'll be. Because if we don't engage in these health or wellness-related things, the appropriate screenings, getting these things done, we suffer the consequences. How can your plan for health help you? Well, 
it's designed in such a way that it's meant, number one, to be convenient and easy. You can go out and take the PHA online in your own time, in your own privacy, no waiting in the office, and you can fill in the questions and you can go get your biometrics done at many locations around campus. So for a total time investment of somewhere around 30 to 40 minutes, which is the amount of time it would take you to drive to your physician's office, you get this whole piece of information. What are your risks? I mean, a lot of men, okay, so we think we're invincible. We think we're healthy. We think we're taking care of ourselves. That's great. Take the PHA, fill in the biometric numbers, and if in fact there's nothing wrong, the PHA will tell you, you're doing great. You get rewarded for it. You get a $50 incentive cash back at the end of the year. You get $120 off next year because you get a $10 reduction in your premium every month. So you can find out if you don't have anything wrong. It's good to check. If you have some risks, the PHA will also help you identify it. So now you know you probably should go see a doctor. You can make the appointment, and now you know what you need to focus in that doctor's visit on. You don't have to go in there and get poked and prodded all over. Let's focus on this, doc. I think i got a problem with my blood pressure. If you have high risk, it'll tell you. Your blood pressure is really high. You need to get in and see somebody right now. Or your blood sugar is really high. You need to get in and see somebody right now. We have found a lot of people with the PHA and with the biometrics that had no idea they had any problems. They were literally ticking time bombs, waiting for a heart attack, for a stroke, for an amputation, so we can get them in and get them the care. And that's one of the important things here is you can get reinforced if you are healthy, you can find out what your risks are, go see the doctor about them, or you can find out if you really got a problem, and you can do it all at your own convenience. Saves you time, saves you money, can get all this health information without those embarrassing situations or conditions. I mean, you know, let's face it, there are prostate exams out there. All men should have them. A lot of men are a little leery about that. I'm, I'm still recommending that you go and at age 40 you start getting those annual exams because that is an important thing to catch all this stuff early. If you have colon cancer or some other kind of cancer, I can guarantee you if the doctors can catch that kind of thing early, chances of your full recovery are remarkably high. If you wait until it causes a condition so bad that you get transported into the emergency room to find out what's wrong with you, your chances of recovery are severely limited. So this option in your plan for health is wonderful for men because it provides us access to that information in a very convenient and easy to get way. Some other things, if you're a man and you find out you do need to see a doctor and you don't have a doctor because we have a lot of men on the plan that haven't chosen a PCP. Well, the health plan itself can help you find PCPs. We know those doctors on our plan that are, say, they specialize in men. So that's one of the things that uh, if you need some help with that, the health plan would be very glad to help you do that. And if you need to call the health plan, the phone number for the health plan is 292-4700. Customer service will be glad to assist you. One of the things that, you know, they study everything anymore. And one of the things they've studied are what are the most satisfied relationships between physicians and patients. And they study male patients and female doctors and 
female patients and female doctors, they look at all these linkages. One of the things you want to consider about as a man trying to find a doctor is the highest degree of satisfaction seems to be from male patients working with female physicians. One of the other things I'm recommending for you to consider as a man looking for a doctor is say you're in your 40s or 50s or even into your early 60s. What you want to find is a young physician. You don't really want to find one that's the same age as you are because they're going to retire about the same time you are. And that's when you really need them, when you retire and on. So what you want to try to do is find a doctor that's 20 years younger than you are so that when you're old and you need to see the doctor more often to help you with those medical problems we usually have as we age, that they're not going to retire and you have to tell somebody else your whole health history. That's something that all people need to consider about doctors. And your plan for health can help you provide the information to take care of yourself correctly, help you understand and know what your numbers mean because, you know, the numbers for your own health care, a lot of people don't understand what the blood pressure number means, what the blood sugar number means. I mean, men, we're, we're great at knowing what every gauge on the dashboard of the car means. And these numbers are just as easy to understand once you have somebody help you through it or have your plan for health information provided to you. Another thing I want to talk about right quick with men is the health and socialization issue. Is there's a lot of information out there about the larger your social network, the larger your group of, your group of friends and all, all the people you talk with and, and spend time with on a regular basis. The larger that number, the more health people generally tend to have. And men are really good at isolating. They're really good at being kind of that, you know, that old men are from Mars and women are from Venus and we crawl into our cave and just want to be alone. It, it's important to have a social network. It's important to have friendship. It's important to have colleagues at work. It's important to have hobbies. It's important to have all these things. So again, if we're talking about health and wellness, think about those things that you want to do and that you enjoy doing and finding other people that you enjoy doing it with. And certainly the right health care provider can help you live, but I, I've talked about how to find them. So uh, figure out if you're not happy with the doctor you're currently with, you're not stuck with that doctor. It's time to think about what kind of doctor you really want. And certainly men need to be their own advocate. They need to understand their own health care issues and frankly the physicians are trying to be experts about everything for everybody. You need to know yourself. You need to have an idea what your own health and wellness and illness risks are. You need to understand what your family history is. If your father and two of your uncles and your grandfather all died of a heart attack in their 50s and you're in your late 40s and you haven't seen a doctor for 20 years, hello, it's time for you to start thinking about going and seeing a physician. Because it's interesting, men, we go, we get these annual physicals when we're in high school. And we may not see another doctor until we have that first serious medical event in our 50s or 60s. Women, on the other hand, get trained in their late teens and early 20s to go to a doctor every year. And as a result of that, they get screened, they get early identification, they get much better care, they have that longer, healthier life. Don't assume everything's okay. You, you have to make the assumption that you do regular checkups. If you're going to go on a 5,000 mile drive across country in your car, you don't assume that the air in the tires is correct, that the oil is at the right level, 
that the antifreeze is okay, you check. This is the same thing you should be doing with yourself. You should be treating yourself at least as well as you treat your car. <clears throat> so again, men need to figure out their health risks, know what screening and detections matter to them, when and how to do self-exams. There are self-exams that men can do. Uh, that's checking yourself in the mirror for skin cancer, looking at moles, understanding those kind of things. There's testicular self-exams that you should do. If you don't know how to do those, there is help either at your plan for health or the health plan or your physician's office teaching you how to do that. Diet nutrition. Guys are great at eating all the wrong things. French fries, Big Macs, chili dogs. Love them. They'll kill you. Sorry. You have to eat some good, healthy food. That includes fruits. It includes vegetables. It includes the right amount of fat, which is no more than 30% of your dietary intake. There's, there's a wonderful video online right now talking about proper health and nutrition. If you don't know what you should be eating, I recommend you go watch that. Men need some anger and stress management. We tend to get very angry at times. We tend to get very stressed at times. We tend then to go isolate. That's not necessarily the best way to take care of those things. There's some sensitivity training that men can take. But most of all, it means being sensitive about yourself, your own body, and your own needs. That's something that I would recommend highly. And exercise is also a recommendation. Because the biggest risks for men are heart disease, vascular disease, and hypertension. And you can actually control all of those by monitoring and keeping your cholesterol low. The cancers men have to worry about, colon, skin, prostate, and lung. Colon cancer means getting a, uh, a screening. After you're a 50 or above, you should be going out and making an appointment and get screened for polyps. And, you know, it's not like the old flexible SIG exams. Now they do the, the total colonoscopy, which it's not uncomfortable. It is a procedure. They anesthetize you. They put you about 80% under. It's, it's worth the effort because it's a lot easier if you find a, a polyp and remove it than it is if you go in for surgery and colon cancer and you have this major surgery and possibly a colostomy and all the other things that go with that, that, that little hour or two of that screening is nothing like the consequences you suffer if you have full-blown colon cancer and they have to treat that. Diabetes, men are subject to diabetic. Uh, diabetes is a growing problem in the U.S. Exercise and watching your diet can help prevent or help reverse the effects of that. Depression. Men are subject to depression. We're subject to depression as teenagers. We're subject to depression in our older age. And men get depressed, and if they get really depressed, they tend, just like anybody else who's depressed, to get suicidal. Well, the problem with being suicidal is that men, when we choose to act out on suicidal uh, thoughts, we tend to be a lot more lethal about it. We do what men do. We get to the point we use a firearm. We, uh, we are very effective if we get suicidal. 
uh, men are also prone to alcohol abuse. If you are both depressed and abusing alcohol, you're even more likely to be suicidal. So you have to know that this stuff is going on. All of these conditions I've just talked about are exacerbated by that lack of support. You don't have anybody to talk to. You don't have anybody to bounce things off of. It tends to get worse. And almost all of them can be treated simply with exercise. That's why exercise is very important. I've talked about the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms and how we're more prone to use these in the risk age. But, uh, you know, like I say, men are more prone to die from suicide. One of the facts about suicide that is very impossible to count is that there are a whole lot more men in fatal single-car accidents than there are women. And this may be one more example of men taking a very effective, you know, 100 miles an hour without your seatbelt into a concrete abutment is a very effective way to kill yourself. But that's not counted as a suicide. So if we started counting those, we might find the rates of suicide for men maybe 10 to 1 higher than women. So men are subject to being self-destructive to the point where they will kill themselves. Can't I just take pills? That's something that everybody wants to do in this country anymore. Hey, you know, I can... I can not exercise, I can eat whatever I want, I don't have to worry about any of this stuff, and then when I get sick, the doctor's going to fix me. Well, the interesting thing about going to the doctor to get fixed is that they call them chronic diseases for a reason. Once you have them, they don't go away. And yeah, you can take pills, you can take insulin, you can do all this stuff, but it really does have an impact. First off, there's no such thing as risk-free medications. All medications have the desired effect, and then they have side effects. And a lot of those side effects are very unpleasant. can impact your life in a lot of ways. When in fact is, one of the big impacts of many of the medication for blood pressure, for instance, is erectile dysfunction. Of course, you can then go take another pill for that, but... Uh, you know, the challenge with that is if you have certain medications on board, you can't even take Viagra and some of these other medications. So these things all have risks. The best thing to do is take care of yourself and avoid having to go on medications. A lot of men who don't go to physicians will go to chiropractors. Well, chiropractors are great. They take care of musculoskeletal pain. But I wouldn't want my chiropractor checking my prostate. I wouldn't want them taking a life history and advising on me on my cardiac risk. I don't think they're the best source for that information. We do have coverage for chiropractors. It's part of our complimentary medic medicine package. <clears throat> we also have some other benefits that we've added in the complimentary package, such as acupuncture, massage therapy, but these kind of complementary services should augment what you do with the normal medical system. They shouldn't be a replacement for the normal medical system. If you like a physician to have a broader view, instead of seeing an MD, you might want to see a doctor of osteopathy. They're trained in a broader field, uh, but they're still able to do all the things that a physician trained as a regular MD can do. So, some healthy recommendations. Exercise is the key because exercise can impact just about everything else. I exercise myself, but it's because I like to eat. 
If I ate as much as I do without exercising, I'd have to buy a new wardrobe every six months, and I can't afford that. But how much exercise should you get? At least 90 minutes a week of aerobic exercise. And aerobic is biking or jogging or swimming, stuff that gets the heart moving, gets the blood flowing, gets the muscles working. They also recommend strength and flexibility for at least 45 minutes a week. That's lifting weights, bending, stretching. But really the best indication of how much time you should do all together is about three hours a week. And three hours a week isn't, uh, you know, hard to remember, and it's fairly easy to do. You can do 45 minutes a day, four days a week. You can do a half an hour a day, six days a week. So it's fairly easy to do. And the nice thing about it is, is there's a lot of, again, literature to support that three hours a week seems to make a real difference. Helps you keep your weight down, helps you keep your blood pressure down, helps you keep your blood sugar in control, helps you keep your cholesterol down. It really makes a tremendous difference. Plus, if you're out doing exercise with another group of guys on a team doing something, you help create that social network, you help create that friendship. So there's a real group of advantages to exercising. The healthy diet is key. Eating enough fruits, grains, and vegetables, drinking enough liquids, and limiting your, cat, your calorie count of fats to no more than 30% of your total. Stress reduction. Again, the hobbies, the friendships. Exercise also helps reduce the stress. I know that's what I use it for personally, is that's the only way I cope some days. It's been a hard day. I'm going to go exercise for an hour tonight because I know after I've exercised for an hour, I think clearer, I feel better, and I'm going to go to sleep tonight instead of laying there thinking about all the things I could have done, should have done, or would have done. I just sleep. The self-screenings, the skin cancer screenings, the testicular cancer screenings, those are about the only self-screenings that men can do for themselves, but those are very important for men. So, how can why your plan for health, or what they call YP4H, make a difference here? Well, we're trying to say it makes it easy and convenient for you to get the information you need. Get in, get out, be done with it. And certainly think of YP4H as the same way you think of those gauges and numbers on the dashboard of your car. It gives you those critical readings. It gives you your dashboard so you can see what you need to know. So, in summary, you need to be engaged in your health. Whether it's man or woman or child, you need to be engaged in your own health. You need to be engaged in that wellness concept. You know, if you see Willard Scott interviews some 100-year-old person on the morning show, and Willard says, what do you find best? And, and the person inevitably says, at 100 years of age, that my health is the most valuable thing I have. Well... That says something to me because at 100, they value their health. But for some reason, at 30, 40, and 50, we think it's somebody else's responsibility. That's why they live to 100 and we don't. So I'm just pointing that out. Your plan for health makes it easy to become engaged, convenient to become engaged. We can also help you navigate the system, but you have to start out with the information you get in order to know best where to navigate, where to go, how to get to the place you need to be, how to get the information you need. 
And then finally, I'm going to recommend that starting and maintaining that relationship with the right physician can be a critical choice for men. Uh, help you get to the place where you want to be in your life. That's all for my presentation for today. I hope this information was useful. I hope you're able to uh, take it and, and make something with it. And I, I fully encourage you to do all the things in your plan for health because after all, if nothing else, if you do this year's incentive program and you get that $125 check added in November, you can, if nothing else, go spend it on something for yourself, and that would be great. So thank you very much.